is, you know, every student that comes to school, there's typically, hopefully, at least one adult that's really checking in on them on a day-to-day basis when they are in school. When they're not in school and they're at home, who's checking in on them? Who's just making that check to assure that that kid is doing okay? And so that's been a big challenge for us. I know our counselors at the high school and the junior high school level are doing home visits and they're checking in on them. Our student support services are checking in on them, trying to get them the support they need. And we also partner with a couple of organizations in our community, both Prodigy and All for Youth, and our after-school program, our expanded learning program out of the county office that really helps to continue to connect kids to school. Welcome to District Leader, a podcast about moving and inspiring educators and non-educators alike to believe in the power of education, its leaders, and its transformation with your host, Luis Valentino. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. There is a lot happening in our country right now, from the pandemic to fires to floods to politics. They all have had an impact on our students, our teachers, our staffs, and our communities. As you know, the District Leader Podcast is a weekly conversation with district superintendents. However, the past two weeks have proven challenging because the superintendents I was going to interview had more important things to deal with, like natural disasters in their school communities. Interviews were scheduled with superintendents in California and Oregon, yet all three of them needed to postpone the interviews. One superintendent had to guard from having his schools burned down. Another superintendent had to evacuate. And yet another had all of her school community's communication systems go down, so students and the teachers had no access. As the superintendent of Northern California shared with me this morning, the evacuations due to the fires are wreaking havoc on my staff, my schools, and my communities, and so I had to close my schools today. And through all of that, superintendents are making tough decisions that ensure that their students are receiving an education while keeping them safe. My guest today is Dr. Paul Marietti, superintendent of the Fowler Unified School District in Fowler, California. Paul is a product of Southern California, where he spent the major part of his education career as a teacher, site, and central office leader before moving to Fowler for superintendency. He obtained his doctoral degree from the University of Southern California. Paul has written about trauma, abuse, and its impact on Latinx students. In our conversation today, Paul describes how this concept has flipped as a result of the school closures and its impact on student access. In addition, we will hear how he has taken on the technology challenge to ensure connectivity across his school communities. We will get to our conversation with Paul right after our affiliate message. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors, Audible, the world's largest producer and provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, edX, the trusted platform for adult education and learning. Learning resources where their mission is to help kids love to learn, and wiredprofiles.com, education's daily digest. You can learn more about our affiliate sponsors at www.districtleader.net slash sponsorship. Paul, good to meet you and welcome to District Leader Podcast. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. How are you and how is your community dealing with the reentry right now? Well, I think Fowler Unified School District is, along with all the other school districts up and down California, are struggling. 
you know, we really struggle. We're educators and we went into education because we love children and we love to educate children. And when you walk around campuses, whether you're a teacher, an administrator, district level administrator, and there are no children on your campuses, it's a whole different world than we signed up for. I've been in education for almost 30 years and I've never had experienced a time where there were no kids in classrooms. I think all of us are going through a little struggle in not seeing kids on our campus. And, you know, distance learning has been a big challenge. And I think we're all doing everything we can to make those connections and bring students and teachers together. But it's definitely a challenge, especially for some of our students in more rural areas who don't have access to the technology. So can you describe for our listeners a little bit more about Fowler Unified? Sure. Fowler Unified School District is a school district in the San Joaquin Valley. It's about 10 minutes south of Fresno. We serve the city of Fowler and also the city of Malaga. And we're right off the 99 freeway and we are a big raisin area. Fowler Unified has been around for over 100 years. It's very generational. We have families that have been in Fowler for multi-generations. And because we have one high school that serves both Fowler and Malaga communities, it is really the center and the heart of the community. Everyone in the community, their lives have touched or are touched by Fowler Unified. So there's a great love and respect for the school district and a great collaboration between the communities. You know, we always say that our kids, their lives are rooted in and rise from Fowler Unified. Clearly, that is a tight community. Paul, how long have you been there and how did you arrive at Fowler? So I came to Fowler last year. This is my second year as the superintendent of Fowler. Prior to that, I was in a Pleasant Valley School District in Ventura County in Camarillo, California. I've worked, like I mentioned, I've been in education for a long time and I've sat in every seat from teacher to assistant principal, principal, director, assistant superintendent. And so it was a natural move, you know, at some point to fill that superintendent chair. If I could do some good and if I can bring my experience to bear, I wanted to give that a try. So I had the opportunity to go up to Fowler and meet with the board and meet with the community and really felt that it was really a good fit. And I've been very happy with my decision. I did want to mention the Fowler, we're about 2,600 students. Okay. And we have one high school, one junior high school, three elementary schools, and an alternative education school. Great. So what has the experience of leading through this pandemic been like for you, Paul? Well, you take everything you know, you take everything you've learned as an educator, everything you know, everything you've experienced, and then you throw it out the window and you start all over again. It's been definitely a challenge, you know, coming into the superintendency as a first year superintendent, really creating a vision and trying to set a plan to find areas where we can improve and get better. And then come March, it's almost like all the doors were shut and the gates were locked. And we said, okay, stop what you're doing. Stop doing every single thing you've been planning or working on and pivot. Now we have a whole new challenge for you. So it's been very challenging. I know it's been challenging for all of my colleagues up and down the state to try to reinvent the way we do school. And I know that although it's been difficult and challenging, there are some things we've learned from the experience that we'll carry with us into the future. So in what ways have you responded differently since March and the closures of the schools? So when the schools went down in March, we were lucky enough. One of the things I will say that smaller school districts, and we consider ourselves a small school district, smaller school districts, it was a little bit easier to transition to distance Mm. learning. I really feel for my colleagues that are in larger districts, more complex districts, multiple high schools, multiple schools, because that's very challenging. But for Fowler, we had a couple things going for us. We were already a one-to-one device school district. So we had the devices already. 
At the secondary level, our devices were already being taken home with the students. In the elementary, our devices were in the classrooms, but they were assigned to students. So one of the things we had going for us when the pandemic hit and when schools were shut down was that we were very quickly, we could take all those devices, assign them to students and get them in the hands of students on the day before we went out. The second thing that really helped us and contributed to us doing well with the distance learning when it started was that we are a Google school district. We converted to basically a Google platform prior to my arrival so that teachers and students were already very familiar with Google Classroom and Google Meets, which is the tools we've been using to connect kids through distance learning. So do you think this will help when you open in a hybrid environment with both in-person and virtual instruction taking place? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, the idea of virtual learning has been around for a long time. It's not something that's new. And I know that even as I've moved through my educational career, virtual learning is something that a lot of school districts were already establishing and even demanding as a graduation requirement, because we know that virtual learning is becoming more and more established in education. And as students go on to further their education, whether it's in the universities or the colleges, or even in trade schools, or even in their careers out of high school, virtual learning is definitely going to be something that we knew they would be having to engage in. So this pandemic, although, you know, not the education we want for students, has really, really forced us to roll up our sleeves and really dig into what distance learning is, what it is not, how to do it well. We've obviously made mistakes and we've learned from our mistakes. We've really began to understand how to use the Google platform, whether it's Google Meets or Google Classroom, other programs like Seesaw and different programs that the teachers have really stepped up to learn. It's been really a benefit for us that I think will carry on beyond the pandemic. I know that at some point we'll all be back in school and we'll all be going to school without masks one day. I don't know if that day will be soon, but it'll be one day. But even when we do get past the pandemic, I think the lessons we've learned and the skills we've learned from this distance learning experience, we're going to carry with them. And I think we'll be, at least in that respect, better off than we were although we do have tremendous amount of learning loss that we're going to have to make up for. And that will definitely make a marked difference when you return to that hybrid space for teaching and learning. Earlier, you talked briefly about the impact of the pandemic on your school communities. How have you been able to address the access that may be lacking as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, the challenges have been great. You know, first of all, just pushing out 2,600 devices didn't mean 2,600 devices were fully functioning and operational. So we put a lot of strain and a lot of pressure on our technology department to work with our parents when devices went down or broke or there were problems to set up an exchange system where parents could bring those devices in and replace them. Establishing food distribution for our families and our students who weren't coming to school and making sure that we were feeding all of our families in the way they were accustomed to. In addition, many of our students live in very rural areas where reception is very poor. So like all districts, we struggle with that. So we quickly purchased hotspot devices, Nephi's, purchased hotspots for them and began distributing them to students without connectivity. And we did that not only in March and April and May, but as we were coming back to school in the fall, we redistributed probably 300 Wi-Fi devices out to our community. And that's been a real challenge with students and parents. And then of course, parents working and having to go to work and leaving students at home, and that's been a big struggle. To have to oversee 
the connectivity of students yeah. while they're engaged in learning has been a big challenge for our community. And then the learning curve for our teachers, you know, our teachers having to learn very quickly how to use the technology to the best of their ability. But Fowler is very lucky. We actually have a technology coach that's been working in our district for about five years. And the technology coach, her sole purpose is to bring education and technology together in a way that she can coach and teach our staff better utilize that technology. And she did a wonderful job supporting our teachers as we moved into a fully distance learning. That's fantastic. Now, some programs have been impacted more so than others, right? And so there are two strong programs you have nurtured in Fowler, and that is your vocational ed program and your performing arts. How have you navigated access for students during the closure in these particular programs? Yeah, so we really struggled, I think, as all schools, districts have with vocational ed and performing arts. We have a very strong FFA, Future Farmers of America, and Agricultural, our academy at our school. And part of that FFA academy was our welding program. And that's really taking a hit with our students because they're not able to come in and do that to get that hands-on approach. And one of the things we're very proud of in Fowler was our band program. We have a very strong band program, both at the high school and the junior high. And that really was a struggle because, you know, we can't have kids out there mom blowing a <laughs> right. instruments on the field. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we did to support our music program was that we went ahead and gave extra sections to our two music teachers so that they could work individually one-on-one with our students. And so what we kind of oh, did fun. was pivot from kind of that band mentality of, When you lead a large band, there are kids that kind of get lost in the layers of the sound. What our band teachers have done at that extra time that they have for students is they're carving out time to work individually with each student so that they can really focus on the learning of how to play music individually with students. And that's been a big help for us as we continue to not be able to come together as a band. But I'm sure everyone in the vocational areas are struggling just like us. Our performing arts teachers are trying to do their best to work with their students through the virtual learning system and make those connections every day with our students. But definitely, definitely a struggle for us and I'm sure other districts. One of the worries I'm sure for you is also the health and wellness of the students as they go through this themselves. And one of the topics you've written about before, Paul, is the cycles of abuse and the impact on Latinx students. So Mm -hmm. let me ask you, what does that mean? And how has it manifested itself in Fowler, a district of almost 80% Latinx almost. And how do you think the pandemic may have exacerbated the problem? I was very fortunate after being a comprehensive high school principal to transfer to being a director overseeing court and community schools at the county level. And when I was principal of a comprehensive high school, I would expel students and I would expel students because my feeling at the time was that I've got 1,600 kids on my campus and my obligation is to protect those children and make sure they're safe and make sure they're getting it done and to move out those students that are maybe causing problems. And so that was my thinking as a comprehensive high school principal, moving to alternative education and then going into the juvenile justice system. I remember my first day in juvenile hall, walking in and seeing several students that were my former students several students that I had expelled and I couldn't understand why they were in juvenile hall. And I started thinking, what's that connection or is there a connection? And that really led me to do a lot of research on that school to prison pipeline and understanding that we have to be 
very cognizant of the fact that when we start expelling students, especially minority students, black and brown students, that that's going to have a major impact on their lives. And I came to really change my thinking about educational leadership in that I serve all students, not just the good students, not just the students that follow the rules. And actually, the students that need us the most, the students that need more time put into them, more resources put into them, are our students that are behavior problems, are our students that are struggling. So I am not a very strong believer in expulsion anymore. We do our best not to do that. Keep our students with us. Obviously, there are situations where we really don't really have a choice, but understanding that the students that are struggling are the students that need you the most. In this time, however, we don't have students on our campuses. At this time, we have to really seek out students to try to understand where they are and where their struggles are. So we're lucky enough in Fowler to have a student support department, which is made up of counselors and social workers. We have four individuals that are dedicated to supporting the social emotional health of our students. And teachers have the ability to send information and indicate individuals that might need to be contacted, that might need some services, and send that information to that department or or student support services department so that students can get that help. So that's really something that we've benefited from. So touching base with students, checking in with students, making sure students are doing okay. Because right now, a lot of our students are struggling, just like our teachers are struggling. Like Just like I mentioned earlier how we're struggling because we don't have students on our campuses. Our students are struggling because they're not on our campuses. Because, you know, every student that comes to school, there's typically, hopefully, at least one adult that's really checking in on them on a day-to-day basis when they are in school. When they're not in school and they're at home, who's checking in on them? Who's just making that check to assure that that kid is doing okay? And so that's been a big challenge for us. I know our counselors at the high school and the junior high school level are doing home visits and they're checking in on them. Our student support services are checking in on them, trying to get them the support they need. And we also partner with a couple of organizations in our community, both Prodigy and All for Youth, and our after-school program, our expanded learning program out of the county office that really helps to continue to connect kids to school, check on them, make sure they're doing okay. During this period, Paul, have you been able to continue nutrition services and some of the integrated services that are found in community schools or wraparound service models within school districts? Yeah. So part of that is through these partnerships with these wraparound services and, you know, are continuing to provide our meals for our students. Right now we're in a grab and go situation with our meals because of the pandemic, but just making sure that all those services are there for kids. Kids know where to find those services. We use a tool called Parent Square that we can push out information to all of our parents on where they can access Mm -hmm. services, both county services, city services, and school services for the betterment of students. So, Paul, let me ask you, what is keeping you up at night now? I can tell you what's keeping me up at night right now is our internet. We've been really struggling with our internet connection. There's several districts up and down California that, you know, it's one thing to have an internet system running when students are in school. But it's another thing to have an internet system that has to take a load of every single teacher, every single student, all accessing the internet and all accessing our servers at the same time. So we've had several issues with our internet glitching out and going down that that's been a big struggle because remember, you know, if that internet goes down and you're a distance learning school district now, school goes down. It would be like telling everybody to get out of their seat, right. go outside, lock the gate and wait there for 20 minutes until the school can reopen. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with our county office and with our IT department to ensure that our internet is staying up and going for our students and for our teachers. But that's definitely a challenge. The other challenge we have right now is engagement 
for a lot of our younger students getting online with their teachers is absolutely something they want to do. They want to see their teachers. Mm -hmm. They're excited. Mm -hmm. But for our older students at the secondary level, it can be a struggle. You know, I remember when I was in high school and I went to high school to play baseball. I went to high school to see my friends. And yeah, I went to high school for school, but a big driver of going to high school was that connectivity to my social circle. And right now, for a lot of our high school kids and our junior high school kids, they don't have that connection. So engagement and many of their parents are going off to work in the morning. And so that motivation to get up, that motivation to get into that computer and to stay on that computer for four and a half hours a day, that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge for a 15 or 16 year old to say, hey, you know, we want you to really supervise yourself, motivate yourself. You don't get to see your friends. You don't get to hang out. You don't get to have those connections, but you do need to get up and get on and stare at a computer Mm -hmm. for four and a half hours. That's a huge challenge. And that's something I think all of us, once again, up and down the state are dealing with. So for our listeners who are not in the state of California, the balance between Governor Newsom's guidance versus the county's guidance and how much you can open or close based on whether the county gives directive or the state. What's that balance like for you in California? So for California, you know, it's very different. California is, depending where you are in California, Mm. a very different group of people, right? So there are some areas of California, like in Orange County, where they want to go back to school. There are places like in Los Angeles where they've committed to keeping schools closed for the first semester. So that commitment, the opinions of people vary up and down the state. Mm -hmm. But we always fall into really two camps, right? There is a camp of people that say, hey, you know what? Kids need to go to school, open up the schools. And there are other students and other parents and community members to say, we need to wait until it's safe. And that's really the challenge, I think, for a lot of uh, administrators, both in California and across the nation, is how do I appease or please or do the right thing when it's not really clear what exactly the right thing is to do? Luckily for us, the state of California, Gavin Newsom, made it very clear that while our positivity rate is high, we will not be going back to school. And we have a certain numbers that we need to get under in order for us to come back to school. And so in Fresno County, we have met our positivity rate just last week. And if that continues, we will be ready and open and able to go back to school right around the middle of October. And so schools will have the option to reopen in the middle of October. And for most schools, In the county, I believe that will mostly be the choice to come back to some sort of a blended learning following the guidelines set forth by the Department of Health and by the state, which is every student, every staff member six feet apart, everybody wearing masks and the recommendation of 10 to 20 percent of your staff being tested every two weeks to make sure that everything's safe. So where we are, we're preparing to come back. We're meeting with our stakeholders and starting to have those communications so that we can start to think about what school will look like in a blended learning environment. And so once the situation improves and we get as close to back on track as possible, what are you hoping the lessons learned will be? I think one thing we can take away from this is how vitally important education is in the United States of America and how what an important role public schools play in the lives of children and in the lives of parents and in the lives of the community. We're not going to just come back and everything's going to go back to normal. I think there has been a tremendous amount of learning loss that we're going to have to start addressing and focusing on when we come back. I think people understand how important and how valuable teachers are to our society as a whole. You know, there was a time 
a few years ago that education was taking a little bit of a beating and getting blamed for a lot of things. And I think that's definitely changed. Now, uh, you know, I love watching those videos where the parents are saying, oh my gosh, how do you guys do this? I can't take this with my kid. (laughs) Teaching is definitely a skill and it's a profession that takes a tremendous amount of ability and skill. And I think the takeaway when it's all said and done is we need to value our educators much more than I think we have. And we need to really roll up our sleeves and get into addressing the learning loss that's taking place. So with that, what advice do you have for our listeners during this time, whether a parent, a teacher, or school or district leader to inspire them to remain hopeful? Well, I think you can take away the fact that you are valued. I've seen such an outpouring of affection. Kids can complain about going to school and they can complain about their teacher and they can complain about homework, but then when it isn't there for them, all that goes away and they just want to be back in school. Kids want to be back in the classroom. Kids want to learn and teachers want to teach. So one thing we can take away is just valuing our educational system more. I think that's a huge takeaway. That is so true. And hopefully it will help to validate the value and the power of public education in the lives of the students we serve. Well, Paul, we've reached the end of our conversation. I want to thank you for joining us on the District Leader Podcast. How can our listeners connect with you? So our website is fowlerusd.org. If you'd like to learn more about Fowler Unified School District, and there's some links there to contact me if you'd like. We're also on Twitter at Fowler Schools at Fowler USD. And that's a way to kind of keep track of Fowler Unified School District, if you'd like that. Great. And so to close out, do you have a quotation that resonates with you that you would like to share with our listeners and why? Yeah, I think it really encompasses the conversation we've we've just had right now. And there was something that Bill Gates said, which was that technology is just a tool in terms of getting these kids working together and motivating them. The teacher is the most important piece. And I truly believe that. And we can have all the great apps and we can have all the great programs and we can have the latest technology and we can put brand new Chromebooks in their hands and Wi-Fi's in their hands. And we can do all that great stuff. But really, the most important thing that transpires in education is the connection between the teacher and the student. And so we never want to lose sight of that. And obviously, this has been a struggle for those connections to happen through distance learning, but we're doing the best we can and we're making it happen. And hopefully when we get back to live in-person teaching, we will begin to flourish. Uh, That will begin to flourish again. Thank you, Paul. What great reflection. So thank you for joining me on District Leader and I wish you, your staff and your community a great year. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Superintendent Paul Marietti. If you would like to connect with Paul, contact information will be available on the podcast show notes, along with links to other material covered in the episode. You can find it at districtleader.net. As I shared with you in a previous episode, health and wellness are critically important. Through self-care and mindfulness, you can better meet the challenges you are facing daily. A reminder that in the resources section of the District Leader website, I have added a set of resources for you to read, reflect on, and apply. And please feel free to share them. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors for their support. And thank you for joining us. And don't forget, tell a friend.